You are listening to an American Theater podcast. American Theater is a publication of Theater Communications Group. www.americantheater.org. Hi, I'm Deep Tran, and I'm Jose Solis. I'm a writer at American Theater Magazine, and I'm a freelance theater critic. And we are your token theater friends, people who go see theater way too often and have no one else to talk to about it except each other. And now with you, thank you all for listening. Every two weeks, we review three shows at three different price points and interview interesting people. On today's episode, which three shows are we talking about? We saw Rags Parkland sings the songs of the future, currently running on Arsnova. Hitler's Tasters, running at IRT Theater, and Ordinary Days, running at the Keen Company. And then after that, we interviewed William Jackson Harper, star of The Good Place on NBC, because why? He wrote a play! What? Cheaty's a playwright! So we talked to him about why he's doing that. <laughs> and then at the end of the show, we're going to be raving a bit about Shows that make us feel better in this political landscape because everything is crappy and sometimes you just really need amazing theater to lift your spirits and make you feel better about other human beings. Right, Jose? Totally. All right. First up is our cheap show, Hitler's Tasters, currently running at IRT Theater off-off-Broadway, presented by New Light Theater Projects. It's written by Michelle Colos Brooks directed by Sarah Norris with an all-female creative team. Amazing! And it's only $25, and it's running until October 27th. In it, we meet three teenage girls living in Nazi Germany, and they have been given the unenviable task of tasting Hitler's food to make sure that the Fuhrer is not, does not get poisoned. And they are... It's kind of like a gado landscape where it's one set and they're just reliving kind of like the same circumstances over and over again and questioning each other's allegiances and bonding and trying to tell themselves that what they're doing is a good thing because you know like the 53 percent of white women who voted for trump sometimes when you're doing some terrible things for nazis you have to figure out how to live with yourself and so they and so you gotta tell yourself you're making Germany, great again. How was that, Jose? That was great. I really enjoyed this. I mean, I thought I, I wouldn't think I, I didn't think I would because it's three white teenage girls, and it really kind of does remind me of the fifty-three percent of white women who voted for Trump. <laughs> but I think it's not so much humanizing, but you kind of understand the mindset of people who would be willing to co-sign something so terrible. Even if it makes me also uncomfortable at the same time. Mm. What do you think, Jose? Absolutely. I was, throughout the show, I kept thinking about this quote by writer Rebecca Traster, who said, mm. white women who enjoy proximal power from their association with white men have often served as the white patriarchy's most eager foot soldiers. And I think that this play is a, totally a reflection of that. In fact, I kept wondering if the characters i mean obviously we know what the characters names are but in my mind i kept calling them kellyanne hope and sarah because <laughs> that's who they were 
is it safe by now to assume that every anything that's about like you know Hitler is also about forty five and yes. and also but isn't that so terrifying? Yes. I mean <laughs> beyond like beyond how terrifying it should be. It's like holy shit! Like, have we really reached this point already? I know it came so much faster than I thought. It's scary. Yeah, I know. I don't. I mean, there were literal Nazis marching in the street now. So <laughs> I know. What are we going to do? I know it's one of those things where you really can't escape anymore when it comes to the theater. I think. I think a lot of people now, and I think we'll get to this at the end with our rant. But I think a lot of people now are putting up plays. They think. Or they want to speak to the current moment that we're living in, and some plays do it better than others. And I think for this one, it actually, you know, it took something very obvious, which is Nazi Germany, put like had put in some modern vernacular smartphones, and so you can draw the line to today. But at the same time, like it doesn't really. I I feel, I don't feel like it was polemic. I don't feel like I was hit over the head with the you know Nazis are bad, white women are bad. It it, it was more humanizing than that, and there was like this great part towards the end where the characters are starting to doubt why it is that they're doing these things or upholding, you know, racism and the patriarchy. And one character basically said, I don't want to know the truth because how can I live with myself? And I mean, granted, it was kind of on the nose, but sometimes it's just a reminder that human beings just have a need to not want to know and to just to just follow groupthink because it's easier. We are herd animals. And I think this play did a really great job of showcasing just how the darkest part of humanity got to that point and how we may be getting there again. And granted, don't know how we're going to get past it, but I didn't leave the theater feeling depressed, which is kind of ironic. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the the play perfectly sums up how you know ignorance is bliss, and it also is a. I wish I I made the play sound less like academic than I'm about to make it sound, but it's mm-hmm. such a great essay on the banality of evil and mm-hmm. how people just sign up to do evil as long as it serves their purpose. Yeah. And I also found myself to be extremely entertained. And we should mention that the play is extremely anachronistic. Yes. Yeah. Oh, it's, yeah. It I feels think I like, mentioned that with a smartphone. Okay. Oh, right. It feels like Mean Girls. Yeah, it does. Because yeah. they're teenagers. Yeah. But it's, you know, I, when I went in, I was thinking that I was going to see like a bunch of like the Sound of Music style mm-hmm. dressed actors mm-hmm. and like speaking like English with like a British accent because everything in the past had a British accent. That's true. I mean, when I think about the past, I get a British accent. Yeah, but it was, it was, <laughs> <laughs> but it was just like seeing, you know, young white teenage girls on a subway. Mm-hmm. And that was like cool, but also really, really, yeah. really creepy. And how many of their parents voted for Trump, you know, or moms? Like, what do you think all the anachronisms added to it? I think, I think what I said, which was, it allows you to parallel it to today. You can't remove yourself by thinking, oh, this is in the past. And this uh, this will never happen again. Or it's like a remote tale that happened a hundred years ago. Like, no, it feels very current. But aesthetically, more than like thematically, because you know, like mm-hmm. when you're when you're like put in like a period state yeah. of mind, and then like someone's suddenly like, let's go take a selfie with the Führer, which is yeah. a line in the play. Yes, <laughs> yes. And but I think it's also like, and I really love the design element. I mean, this is like a small off of Broadway company, but they did so much with 
I'm sure, very limited resources because basically it's a one set. It looks it looks like a bunker. So you don't really have any sense of time and place aside from costumings. And the only sense of time you get is through lighting and through sound cues. And so everything, so er- everything was just enough. Mm. Like, you know, the steps of like the, of the Nazis coming to deliver them food. Like it, it was just enough to let you know that there was like a threatening male presence on the outside forcing these people to do this. And like, and this is how time, and this is how time changes by just like lighting shifts. And so, I really love the simplicity of it, and I commend. I've never been to new a new light theater project show, but I am very impressed. So Same good here. Job. Yep, I, I was, you know, like to our listeners, this is some trivia about me. If you care to know, I'm a huge fan of everything that came out of the Weimar Republic before Nazis took over Germany. I think it was mm. like a period of it's my favorite period in modern history because they were doing and they mentioned it in the play they were doing incredible movies they were doing incredible music i mean kurt weiler came from that era Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. christopher isher would live there and that's how he wrote all those amazing stories that inspired cabaret they had i mean they made all those amazing fonts (laughs) (laughs) all the great furniture all the great like industrial design came from that era Yeah, and all the futurist art and things like that yeah and i wonder if the playwright for this show thinks that we're living in a weimar republic kind of situation right now because there would be like my only disagreement with the play like i think or maybe you know like maybe you don't think we're we're like uh, do i think we're at a peak of like arts and like technology and stuff i don't know Maybe I'm just like being, you know, like pessimistic because how could we not when Hitler is back? But that was like the, you know, like I've been thinking about this play and all the, it, it brought to surface a lot of questions and a lot of things that uh, I hadn't really sat down to think about. So yeah, I was pretty impressed with it. Mm-hmm. All right. We enjoyed this, even though it's about Nazis. So next, the next show is not about Nazis, but it is about robots. <laughs> Which, you know, Nazis can be robots, too. Our second show, Mid-Price, is Rags Parkland Sings the Songs of the Future. It's currently running at Ars Nova, which is, fun fact, one of my favorite venues in New York City because they produce some fantastic experimental new musicals uh, created by Andrew Butler, directed by Jordan Fien, and it's running until November 3rd. Tickets are 35 to 65 Rags Parkland, Songs of the Future. It's, it's like, I, I just want to set the scene for, for y'all so you can go through what I kind of went through when watching this. Like, you're sitting in this old-timey, you know, it, it, it looks like someone's basement in Bushwick. And some dude comes out, and he has long red hair and a long red beard. He's dressed in, like, khakis and browns and things like that. And he's like, I'm going to sing a song for you. And he starts playing the guitar, and you're like, oh, my God, it's a folks, it's, it's going to... It's like a folksy situation. And then he starts to sing about robots. And then you realize this show takes place 200 years in the future where there are robots, like Westworld-style human-like robots, which who are, who are discriminated against, and, there are act- and the stage that you're in is actually an underground bunker where a bunch of robots come together and sing songs of resistance and joy and love to try to keep their spirits up when they're being hunted by, you know, the government, whatever outside threat. By Kellyanne, Sarah, 
and hope. <laughs> and the evil dude in Westworld. <laughs> by, by Ed Harris in Westworld. Are we so traumatized that now we're laughing about <laughs> the future that's, yeah, that we've been promised? Jesus. Yeah, in the future, we do the same things that we've always done, which is discriminate against things. And instead of discriminating against other humans, we would discriminate against robots. But I really enjoyed the songs. How about you? The score was so beautiful. Yeah, I love the score. I want, yeah. I want an album. Yeah, Andrew Art Butler please. is such a talented composer. And mm-hmm. I love how the, 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 the musical goes to touches on so many different genres. And he mm-hmm. excels at each of them, like each and every yeah. one of them. Because I, I was talking to Andrew a little bit about this, and apparently, like, he didn't compose it the way, like, a normal musical theater composes things, where you just, like, here's the score singers, sing the thing. Like, he actually, he had the songs, but then he'd let all of the entire band, like, add in their own arrangements and parts and suggestions. And so, like, they felt, so it, they felt like a band on stage, because the future is a band. The future. It felt like a like a band on stage, because they actually did create the songs like a band would. So I really like that. Yeah, and the uh, the economy and the storytelling was so mm-hmm. wonderful. Like he didn't need to give us this, you know. Like when we watch like a movie, for instance, and it's set in the future, and the first five minutes are like title cards explaining what Everything. happened, do, do, how do, people do, got there, do, all the laws do, 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 of the new do, world, do, 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 do. and yeah, and Rex Parkland doesn't do that. Like he feeds us the mm-hmm. information when we need it and also so that it's enough that we use our freaking imaginations and our active viewers and we're like oh so this happened oh and this is what's coming Mm -hmm. and i found it so stimulating because you know sometimes going to a show after you've been out all day long can be like a very exhausting experience but i was alert all throughout I, I can't say I was alert all throughout. I I started thinking, oh my god, is this going to be one dude singing the entire time? Because I love Yars Nova, but I feel like that might be my limit. And but like once we got more of the band, and I have to like give a shout out to the lead singer of that band, Stacy Sargent. Oh my god, I haven't seen her on stage before, and I am in love. Because like she has like like a preacher quality to her, like she's so, like her presence is so comforting that when she's talking about it's like it's not okay we're being discriminated against, but at least we still have each other. Like I felt so comforted, and sometimes it's like you just you just need someone to acknowledge that there is terrible things happening, but try to like like you know lead all of us through it and to not and to not pretend it's not happening. But to like give us some sort of hope, and I think it it was really like a great testament to like what great art does during these times. I think also Andrew Butler himself uh, shows us what a good ally is, mm-hmm. and what he does with the structure of the show is what every ally, you know, every white says male out there who thinks of themselves as an ally should do which is use your power to draw people in and once people are there give them a story about women people of color and marginalized populations i love how once the band comes on he goes to the back almost Mm -hmm. like he doesn't interfere with their storytelling and what they have to say and he's a listener and a supporting character and that's you know bold and 
brave, even I would say. And bravo to you, Andrew, for for that. And it's a very diverse band too. Yeah, like they're like the most beautiful moment for that show for me was seeing Stacy Sargent, and she's just singing with. With Debbie Christine Chong, who's on the bass, and they're just playing together. I'm just like, oh my god, I've never seen this on stage. Hmm. This is amazing. This is like a freaking Beyonce concert. I want this all the time. (laughs) (laughs) And I would like that cast album now, please. And I really loved the... um, Because it's one... It's kind of like Hitler's Tasters. It's one set. So the design has to do so much. And there's this moment. We're not going to spoil it for you. But there's this moment when stuff goes down... And and the sound and like the sound of something comes in. You don't know what it is, but it just starts shaking the room. And I don't think like I've been in that experience before where the sound design really I I think that that's the plus with an intimate space where the sound design can like you can feel it. You can feel it in your body what's happening. So, but the sound, the light at that moment was just something I haven't hadn't experienced. Before it was kind of like an alien abduction situation, but it wasn't an alien abduction, but it felt like it, <laughs> like what it would feel like. You know, you, do you know what I'm saying, Jose? I do know what you're saying. Yeah. So thank you, Mikhail Solomon and Barbara Samuels, for that wonderful moment, even though it was kind of terrifying. Yes. And before we move on to our next show, I'm going to say if someone out there wants to do the Hunger Games musical, hire Andrew R. Butler to the score. Our last show for this episode is Ordinary Days with Music and Lyrics by Adam Guan. This is the first revival of this show in New York. The show came out about like, I think it was like seven years ago or so. And as the title suggests, it's about extremely ordinary days. (laughs) It has a couple, you know, a straight couple played by Winnie Bashor and Mark De La Cruz who are just moving in together and going through like the hustle of like packing and all the stuff that shows up in like straight couple like problems in movies and stuff. <laughs> and then we have uh, Sarah Lynn Marion, who plays Deb, who's like a cynical grad student trying to complete her thesis. And she runs into this like ray of like really obnoxious sunlight played by Kyle Sherman, who's his, 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 his character name's Warren. And he's just, just like extremely like optimistic, kind of like SpongeBob character. Mm who runs into her for reasons unknown and we won't spoil them for you. So it's just watching these four people interact over the course of what feels like a few, like a week or so. Mm -hmm. And that's it. It's about ordinary days. There's references to Virginia Woolf. So, you know, they're keeping like the Mrs. Dalloway, like this is just ordinary people doing ordinary stuff kind of thing. And we're that, just ordinary people. Yeah, and that's it. Uh, is is there anything I'm missing about this show? That's it, right? No, no, it's yeah. a tidy eighty minutes. Yeah, it's pleasant. It's pleasant. Yeah, yeah. There's like a 9/11 twist, but uh, it doesn't take place during 9/11. Uh, so if you have any, like, if 9/11 triggers you, because I know it triggers a lot of people, a lot of New Yorkers, uh, just have that in mind. And I don't, I don't really have a lot to say about the show except that it's. It's okay. It is okay. The thing with the Keen Company is um, they do a lot of off and off off Broadway musicals that never made it to Broadway, and so some of the musicals are lovely, like Tick Tick Boom. They did a couple mm. of years ago, and other musicals are just like that's fine, like Ordinary Days, like that 
is fine. The thing is, I've... I think I've only seen, like, two musicals from Adam Guan. Like, he's pretty prolific in the off-Broadway circle, and most of his stuff I cannot... Like, his stuff is kind of Sondheimian in that, you know, it tell you, you get a lot of exposition, a lot of character development, but sometimes the tunes aren't right, they aren't quite there. I can't, I really can't say that I, I left it like I left Rags Parkland. I didn't leave Ordinary Days, like, really humming anything. I don't remember a single song from this show. No, and and I didn't like any of the characters. Oh my I, god, are you gonna feel? Oh god, <laughs> are you gonna feel so offended if I told you that Deb reminded me of reminded me of you? <gasps> How dare you! Because she was she was always like she was always like oh the world is so horrible and I'm just like angry and I just want to like throw my notes off the of the skyscraper and I was like oh my god that's like deep. Wait, but she, that, that's kind of you, too. No, I You're think... You're not an angry person, but you do think the world is terrible. No, I, I, what I thought was so disturbing was that I saw myself a lot like Warren. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, am I as obnoxious as Warren. No, you're not as obnoxious because you're not as sunny. You're not SpongeBob. Thank God. Although I loved his wardrobe. He had a good wardrobe. I mean, yeah. I, I like Deb's wardrobe. I, that, I would actually kind of wear those things. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not being an asshole. I was you're speaking not being truth. an asshole, but I am not that cynical yet. No, I mean you're not that dark yet. Mm-hmm. But like she was just like, yeah, I can totally see you like grabbing like a draft of something you don't like of yours and like going to like the top of this building and just like throwing it to people. Well, no, because but I wouldn't do that because I don't litter and. Uh, well, well. I'm not that ostentatious. Come on now. Well, I can go scream. Yeah, I at do. At the top of the skyscraper. I, that is a thing that happens. But no, I think I think these. I mean, I think this a musical like this about quote unquote ordinary people. It like it lives and dies on whether or not you like spending time with these people. And I don't really think I did. Mm-mm. I think they're all character tropes of people you would find Manhattan. The thing is, when you live in New York and you see so much stuff that has been filmed in New York and made about New York, like you've seen all of these before in other mediums, and it's not compelling at this point for Mm-mm. me. I'm sure it was compelling when it was first written, this musical. Yeah, probably because it was written like after nine eleven, so like people probably were like feeling closer to that. Yeah. But by now we've been through so many horrors, and we're like currently living under so many horrors that uh, yeah, it it was it was just pleasant. Like everyone, yeah, it's everyone, trite. Yeah, I would call it trite. Everyone had a beautiful voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, I loved seeing Mark De La Cruz as Jason because I'm pretty yeah. sure. When they originally cast this, it was some white dude, probably. So this was, you know, a great choice. Yeah, and I like Mark. I, I wish I'd. I haven't seen him in many, very many things. His, but his voice. voice. <laughs> <laughs> they say as if as they run ice cubes down their <laughs> scorching bodies. <laughs> I mean, it could be improved if he took off his shirt, but you know. <laughs> yes, Adam Guan to write that in. Thanks for nothing, Adam. Make that happen. Yeah. Exactly. It's fine. If you want to forget about how crappy life is, then go see this musical and it'll maybe make you feel hopeful about the people around you. Or you can just be cynical like us and go see Rags Parkland and cry with the audience, which is what I did. So, you know, choices. We love giving you choices. Yes, sure. Uh, and uh, Ordinary Days is running until November 17th and tickets are 75 to $90. So which one would you see again if you had to pay for it? 
I think I would go to. Oh, this is like a difficult choice this week because I really like both Hitler and Rags. <laughs> I liked Hitler. Yeah. <laughs> wow, I never thought you'd say that. <laughs> it was a good play. Uh, I think I would go to Rags. Same. Yeah, because it was very enjoyable and it was very different mm-hmm. and. It's just a really wonderful experience altogether. So go see it and get some wine. And the people are so so lovely. And you get temporary tattoos. Great new musical. We mm-hmm. can't endorse it enough. Next up, we're going to take a listen to the interview we did with William Jackson Harper. You might know him as Chitty from The Good Place, but he's an incredible actor also on stage. I've seen him in After the Blast and all the way. And he's just really, really remarkable. He wrote a play called Travisville, which is based on a true story about displacement and gentrification around the time of the civil rights movement. Travisville is running an ensemble studio theater through October 28th. So let's go check out the interview with William Jackson Harper. Thank you for joining us, William. I saw Travisville over the weekend and it just like fucking blew my mind. And the first thing that I was like, how, when do you have time to write a play? <laughs> uh, I well, I, I, wrote, I wrote the first draft of, of Travis School years ago. Um, I was uh, with DST up in Southampton. They had this sort of developmental thing that they would do over the summer, and I was up there as an actor, actually uh, working on another piece. And uh, there were some writing workshops, and I just you know just kind of stuck my head in, and uh, you know I have been kicking around an idea for a while and I was like, well, let me just see if I can, you know, like get, get a couple of things on paper and see see how it, how it feels. And so that was the germ of the idea, like, I guess at this point, eight years ago. Wow. So it was, you know, um, and, and, you know, we did a reading uh, the following year and, uh, and then we've just sort of been slowly doing stuff with it when it, when it fits into everyone's schedule. You know, many people, many of our viewers know you from The Good Place, where you play uh, Chidi Aragonie, who's mm-hmm. a philosopher who can never really make up his mind. Yeah. And the central dilemma in Travisville made me think this would drive Chidi insane. Yeah. And I wonder how much do parts you played on stage or TV shows inform what you're writing as a playwright? Um... You know, I guess when it comes to the parts that I'm, I'm I'm playing, I'm not even I'm not ever thinking about like the project that I'm writing. You know, I'm I'm just enjoying being able to sort of uh, exercise whatever like less than noble impulses I have, and uh, and 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 just sort of be unencumbered by my own morality and feelings and stuff, and sort of like just really latch on to what this character is and what this character wants and uh and so I, i'm not i'm never really thinking about it like uh um in in terms of like when i'm on stage but i think that um you know as far as writing this play i think that it's it's been like a lot of years of a lot of things happening and i feel like a lot of ugliness has sort of reared its head and it feels like we're you know 50 years in the past and so I just sort of you know that's those sort of things sort of keep popping up and sort of just really I get to be in my vomit about it and then it kind of goes into the play. What has the process been like of just not being able to 
escape the outside world with this work? Uh, or is it your way of like working through it? It's sort of my way of working through it. I feel like I, I am angry mm-hmm. and I'm frustrated and I, I feel like, uh, you know, there's a conversation that's being dragged out of the realm of what's reasonable to making concessions toward, you know, an irrational tribalism. And I, I really, I, I feel like with the conversation being dragged that way, I, I'd have to just sort of like, look, there are certain empirical truths that we have to adhere to. And, and when those things are up for debate or it becomes a matter of opinion, then I, you know, I, 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 I feel like I, I have to exercise that. I have to, I have to let that out. And so there's actually certain things in the play that I wrote before the current political climate sort of became what it was. And they, it, it, and, and then like it, the current political climate became what it is, you know, and it's, and which is just sort of, I was like, there's no way that this will actually sort of be relevant in a few years, you know, mm-hmm. this, there's, there's no way that, that it will, but sadly it kind of, it kind of is. Um, we like to play a, a little game with our guests sometimes, and for for you, we wanted to do something called uh, the Good Place or the Bad Place theatrical okay. edition. Right. So I'll say some things, and you'll tell me if they belong in the good place or the bad place. Okay. Yeah. Uh, tech Week. Tech Week. Uh. Oh man. Um. I. You know what? It's this is the weirdest thing. I kind of, I kind of like Tech Week. See, I told you there are people who like Tech Week. I kind of like it. Um, <laughs> it's a weird thing. <laughs> it's a weird thing. I mean, like, I like uh, just because it's you know, I think that's when as a as, a, as an actor you sort of like you become just bonded to the rest mm-hmm. of your cast in a way that you just aren't. It's just like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, we're in this together, you know, <laughs> and, it's, and it sucks for a while. So it's like something about that commiseration and misery is. It's kind of great. <laughs> uh, phone's going off in the theater. Bad place. Bad place. Turn it off. Just be in the room. Turn it off. Or you'll throw it, throw it across the room like Patty Lupone. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's great. That's great. That was great. Like, turn it off. Just turn it off. Something that I really loved about Travisville was it made me think so much of the way in which James Baldwin balance that, you know, like rightful anger because people of color should be angry, like we should be angry. Yeah. But also there's so much love and joy in Travisville. And as an artist of color, how do you balance that? How do you find, you know, like the right way to not let just like the anger or like the love, you know, outweigh each other? I I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I mean, like, I sort of feel like I, I was leaning more into just really trying to really just express sort of the, the, my, my truth of being, you know, a black man and having to sort of listen to people negate your humanity as, as as a viable opinion or or, or, or or point of view and I and and so like really like that but there's no way that I can express that without some kind of humor without some kind of joy because otherwise I'm just gonna be 
I'm just going to be an angry, inarticulate mess all the time. And here's the other thing. It's like, I feel like in my family in particular, um, and, you know, in my community, I think that there is a, a wryness and a sort of humor that comes from, like, well, you know how mobiles can be. You know, it's like, it, and, and, and it's... And, it, and so I think that that's, I think that's important. It's like sometimes you just have to laugh it off and mm-hmm. you have to just sort of allow yourself to be angry and biting and assert it. And it's, it's one of the things that I, I feel like, you know, people in my family do when they're saying something really, really biting. Sometimes it's incredibly funny and, and something that's, there is a lot of pain behind that's sort of swept aside in favor of, you know, something very acerbic or a really witty joke that um, sort of acknowledges that truth but also allows us to laugh. And so, like, that's, that's, what, I'm, that's what I'm trying to do. Um, I feel like it's, and I, I hope I do it, but, you know, sometimes I, sometimes I watch the play and I read the play and I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm an angry man. And I think that, I mean, I think it's okay, but yeah, it's like, but, uh, you know, but yeah, I, I, hope it, I hope it comes across. I'm glad it came across to you that way. Okay, so good place or bad place? Uh, entrance applause for celebrities. Bad place. <laughs> bad place. Like, just <laughs> let people be in the world. It's so corny. I hate it. <laughs> I hate it. Uh, audience talkbacks. Uh, you know, I, I, I think I gotta say, I gotta say bad place. I, I prefer not to, not to, I prefer to, I prefer not to do those. Okay. So are we doing any audience talkbacks? I don't know. I might be forcing one, but I, mean, <laughs> I, I but I, I hopefully not. Can you remember? Can you talk? Can you share? When was the first moment that you saw yourself represented on stage, on television, or film? Hmm. First time I saw myself represented. Okay, you know the the first the first show that I saw with a person that that felt like I, that I felt a kinship towards I was watching this production of Macbeth in Dallas and there's this actor Billy Eugene Jones who he's in New York now he's, he, he works a lot he's like one of my favorites that I've ever seen and he he was playing Macbeth and it was a you know it was a pretty Multicultural production, but I, but I just remember watching him and, and just being like, wow, that's, it's really cool to see like, you know, a young black dude playing a major role in a Shakespeare play and, uh, and just sort of the world feeling like way more wide open at that moment. And the fact that he was just so, so good, you know, um, was like, it was that, that, that sort of, woke things up for me and shifted things. Okay, final round. Um, so Stephen Sondheim recently said that he doesn't care if white people play Latinos, I mean Latinx people in West Side Story uh-huh. because actors should be able to play anything. Uh-huh. So does Stephen Sondheim now go in the good place or the bad place? Oh, man. You know what? That's just... That's the... That's... We just... We gotta, we gotta teach him. We'll correct his path. <laughs> And we'll 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 get him into the good place eventually. I just think that yeah, that's that's, that's a that's a pretty look. I, I think he's an amazing artist, you know, and his contributions far outweigh that one comment. Mm-hmm. But um, 
Yeah, he, yeah. We'll 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 fix him. We'll help him. We'll guide him. <laughs> we'll guide him. We'll, we'll get guide him. We'll guide him. Yeah, we'll, we'll just guide him. Just like yeah, put him right back. Okay, last one. Uh, theater critics. Uh, you know, I I I get I get I get angry uh, with critics, obviously. Um, um, you know, I feel like as an artist, I feel like I'm supposed to have an adversarial relationship with them, so I have to say bad place because if I think if I say if I say good place, I don't I don't think that I, that 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 doesn't feel right either. I kind of feel like it, there's I feel like they're right in like medium. There's, 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 there's like, yeah, because it's like there's there. I mean, sometimes people like write these reviews and they're just completely way off base, and then sometimes people write reviews that allow you to think about things in a way that perhaps open you up to the piece in a, a little bit more. So, you know, I I don't know. But then again, I'm just like, I, I don't think everyone needs to know my opinion about anything. And so, like, I, get, I feel like, you know, it's like, why, why, why does your opinion matter? It's like, you know, so. And yet, you're here. And here I am talking a lot. <laughs> Well, I, I would like to be his friend. Me too. It's so cool how he is so much like his character from The Good Place. <laughs> no. I kind of want to insult... I, I want to insult him by saying, like, he, like, you know, is not much of a stretch, but it really is. <laughs> he's very funny. He's lovely. Yeah. And he's such a good writer. I can't wait to see what he writes next. I hope he mm-hmm. writes more plays. I hope he writes more plays. I hope he stars in more dramas, too. Yes. Speaking of what do we owe each other, as Chidi from The Good Place would say... I feel like the shows you've been seeing lately, Jose, are like people just like programming with the dumpster fire of our society, like in the back of their minds, because everything just like speaks so well, but not in like an overwrought way. I think that's what I think that's what good art does, regardless of the. Because I was thinking about this, I think that's what good art does, regardless of when it lands. Because something like Ordinary Days, for instance, no offense, it didn't speak to us at all. Because mm-hmm. it's really not saying anything. But I think. <laughs> but I think. I think. Oh, no, but I think. You're so mean. No, we're not mean. Okay, I know. But I think a show, for instance, like Oklahoma con- yeah. or something like Travisville. I don't think, I hope not, like when William was writing this eight years ago, he never could have seen coming what was coming after the election. So I think that good art lands regardless of the time when it lands. And which is why for our 11 o'clock number, we are going to talk about shows that give us comfort in this horrible dumpster fire of a time that we're living in. Right. I... I mean, and I just named, we just talked about two shows. I wouldn't say it gave us comfort, but it made us think and we didn't leave it feeling like a mess. And then there are other things that we've seen lately, such as What the Constitution Means to Me by Heidi Schreck, currently running at New York Theater Workshop, and Blacklight by Daniel Alexander Jones, currently running at the formerly Barrel Street, the former Barrow Street Theater. All off Broadway. We're not talking about Broadway this week. We that stuff doesn't exist right now. We're talking about small, intimate settings with 
maybe a hundred people all sitting together, just thinking about where we are and how to get past it. And I feel like all all these these shows these shows are so different from each other and like what they're trying to do and what they're talking about. Like Blacklight is a musical, and Rags Parkland is a musical, and what the Constitution means to me is a one person show about the Constitution. But somehow, I, they all tie together because, like Jose said, great art speaks to the time. It's also asking us the questions of, like, what what we're supposed to be doing as citizens, I think, and what we're supposed to be doing as human beings. And so it's not so much, like, giving us entertainment and then setting us on our way. It's, like, making you think about what what is happening, right? What How are, is the stuff on stage related to what's happening in my own life and like how can I improve or how can I in the words of Daniel Alexander Jones like be an active witness and not just be watching on the sidelines but be actively participating well that's very politically engaged if you I was just thinking about this shows as a big hug okay and that's all I wanted a big warm hug Mm mm-hmm and so, like, what do you think, what, like, what makes a good politically, what makes a good show for these times right now, if it's not, like, an ordinary days? Honestly, I think that a good show for any time would be something that gives people pleasure. That's that's my first rule. If it's mm-hmm. Aladdin on Broadway that's giving you pleasure and making you feel that you're going to survive, hey, go see Aladdin every day. Go. Do it. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I applaud artists like Heidi Shrek and Daniel Alexander Jones, who, by the way, we interviewed on our, ver- on our second episode. So that's available on YouTube. If you want to go find it, it's a great interview. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> Plug. yeah, but I, I feel like, you know, people like, like Daniel and Heidi are doing both. They're giving us hope and they're telling us how, what things are. They're, they're showing mm-hmm. it. They're showing us the world as it is, but they're telling us, but wait, there's something that can be done about it. Which is why after watching, after sitting through Rags Parkland, I couldn't figure out if the more touching thing about the show was that Andrew Butler thought that music and performance would survive, you know, in, in 200 years. Yeah. And yeah. after a catastrophic, uh, you know, event unfolds, like he, he thought that art would survive and I found that so moving, but I was also extremely moved by the fact that he even thought a future existed. Mm-hmm. So thank you, Andrew. Sometimes all you need is like mm-hmm. amazing music and an artist that makes you feel that not all is lost. Yeah. And I think because like none of these shows say Trump or none of these these shows like gross. I know say like have any have any relation to what's going on politically. Go put a quarter in the curse jar. <laughs> what? Don't give him the power. He's not Voldemort. <laughs> gross. Uh, like I mean, I saw both Black Light and what the Constitution means to me. Like during the week of the Kavanaugh hearings mm-hmm. and. It it was just so comforting to know that when there is so much terrible stuff happening, like there there's also some beautiful stuff being made that tells you, hey, things may not always be good, but we will get through it together. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you just you, you just need that. You just need someone to tell you that. 
Like for me, like I, I I'm very much a realist. I don't, um, you know, I'm, I'm not like the women in Hitler's tasters where I, I can just ignore what's happening around me. I think, I think, I, I think that's the case for most people of color, really, really, where like if you're, when your body becomes politicized, like you can't. You can afford to. Yeah, you can't be like Kanye and try to opt out. We don't, we don't have enough money to do that. And so having things that like acknowledge the pain, but also not give solutions, but just like hold, just they just hold the audience. And like you said, it's like it's it's like a hug, and we're and we're all in it together. And like Daniel said, we're not all going to survive, but it will be okay. Yeah. Like we were, we were actually sitting with, cause we're going to be doing talkbacks for another plug. We're going to be doing talkbacks for every show at New York, New York theater workshop this season. So go see us if you can and go see the shows, obviously. And we were actually sitting with Heidi Shrek on stage moderating our talkback when we all got the news that Kavanaugh had been confirmed. And I don't know how many of you out there are spiritual or not, or if you go to church or whatever, but, you know, forget for a moment about like all the, the nonsense of like or- organized religion and like all the killing and all the corruption, and all of that. But think about just like the basis of like what spirituality is about, which is about like connecting to people and just sitting there with the artist and, you know, with you deep and with oh. the audience. I didn't feel like I wanted to kill myself in that mm-hmm. moment because I was like, you're surrounded by people who believe what you believe in, who share your point of view, which is, I think, a decent point of view. Like, we just, we just <laughs> want people to be happy yeah. and for racists not to win, <laughs> right? Um, and it gave me so much comfort. And it was, you know, it was kind of like a church-going experience. Right. Yeah. Well, we're not religious, so we don't go to church. So theater is our church. And sometimes the church just disappoints me. And other times... It makes me real happy. Yeah, I actually and- go to church, but that's a story for another day. What? What? Anyway. What? Is it time for goodbyes? Yes. Well, anyway, we'll talk about that on the next episode of Token Theater Friends. No, we won't. <laughs> <laughs> we hope you enjoy this episode. Uh, subscribe to us on iTunes. Please leave us a rating or and a review. It makes us happy because... Like good theater, we also love getting good reviews because we are queens like that. Yes, we are. And tell your friends about us. If you have theater, theater-loving friends who don't know what to see this week because there's so much going on, it is the fall. Uh, watch us on YouTube if you feel like it. We, we yeah. You should feel like it. Like all of our guests are so lovely, <laughs> and they're all so attractive. Yeah, and you really, really should be yeah. watching them. They're all beautiful instead of just listening to them say stuff. All right, uh, I think that's it, right? Yep. Yep. Let's all right. Sign off. Thank you, Jose. Thank you, Deep. Yeah, and remember, theater is more fun when you take your friends. Bye. Bye. Bye.